0: Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast, episode number two hundred and twenty-eight, featuring Dan Abrams, founder of Flylow. Any hardcore skier, especially the backcountry crowd, will recognize Flylo as one of the bigger, small brands in the ski industry. Flylo makes backcountry skiing apparel. Well, at least that's how they really made a name for themselves. Since they started, they actually expanded their line, digging into mountain biking as well. Flylo started as an incredibly small company and has extremely humble beginnings. But in a lot of ways, Flylo helps set the stage for helping backcountry become more mainstream. Not just from the apparel side of things, not by a long shot. Sure, that was their main focus in the beginning, and they did and do still progress that side of it. Flylo, first and foremost, makes really high-quality technical apparel. It is how they got their start, but just going beyond that, Flylo has done a lot to cultivate a culture and just add to the skiing community. As Dan tells the story of how he Got it started, you'll see what I mean by that. It's a lot of working with other filmmakers in the industry, building a team, building an ambassador team, a team of athletes, people who actually could stand by the brand and understand that Fly Low isn't just about the gear, it's a lot more about the culture around the gear. Tana actually dives into a lot of stuff beyond that, sharing a way more nitty-gritty look at what actually went into building Fly Low. In this episode, Dan shines the light on how Flylo got developed from its very humble beginnings, and there are a lot of lessons to be taken out of that. He really does dive into the details of what it was like actually building a brand from scratch, having started taking other gear, duct taping it, making alterations, and just realizing, hey, we can do this better. And they did. And they still do. Dan also really shows a great example of how to stay nimble as a young company, even if it means hanging on to shoestring budgets and cobbling together a plan until you have something a little bit more robust. But most importantly of all, we discuss how to build a community that people can proudly get behind. And with that, I give you Dan Abrams, founder of Flylo. Forward. And here we go. Dan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely glad to have you. Um, so for starters, the easy one, um, who is Dan Abrams?
1: <laughs> oh man. Uh, I am, well, I mean, doesn't that question you just change over time. Now I'm a dad. <laughs> uh, but I'm also a co-founder of Flylo gear, which is my outdoor and kind of backcountry ski free ride clothing company. Um, And I am just trying to run a solid business and create jobs where people can earn a living with dignity, and
0: uh, and make the right choices so I can keep those jobs around. You know, I guess you could kind of say Flylo was your uh, your firstborn child. (laughs) I mean,
1: (laughs) you know, I I uh, over the years I've I've gone in and out of uh, having that identity of having Flylo be too much of an identity. And trying to make sure that Flylo wasn't my only identity. I mean, a lot of people refer to me as Flylo Dan, but I I think it was the first time uh, someone was interested in buying the company from us that I really had to unhinge my identity from that. And then before that, I remember my best friend uh, at one point didn't want to hang out with me anymore because I just wouldn't stop. I mean, he always wanted to hang out, but... But he gave me trouble because I wouldn't stop talking about Flylo. So I've unhinged myself from that. And, uh, but it is still very much who I am. Oh yeah.
0: That's like the, the healthy thing though. I mean, it, it happened I guess early on with, with Red Yeti, even before we, you know, while we were still kind of doing other things, trying to support it, you know, always wanting to talk about it. You, you kind of figure out like, Oh, like, you know, I, I could do other stuff. I got to, other interests it's, it's fine this isn't going anywhere
1: and you realize that there was there was life before whatever your current project is which for me was was actually playing music and in in high school my jazz band teacher helped me figure out how to run my own bands and so I was always making these big blues and funk ensembles with horn sections and this and that and and those were my bands. And then eventually I got to college and someone asked like, what projects are you working on? And all of a sudden it changed the way I looked at the band. I didn't, you know, like, I'm not married to this band. I'm not married to this company. Um I am married to my wife and there are different things. So you, you realize like these are projects and there's project a B and C and that's kind of how I live my life or how I can sleep at night is that, you have all of the different ideas, and what's the number one idea? It's Flylo. What's B? What's C? And you have to cover your ass and and be ready to go at any time. So what's Flylo, for the listener who is unfamiliar? So Flylo, at its origins, was, uh, of, was a product-driven brand uh, concept that came out of uh, – the need or, you know, like the need of my group of friends from college to have a pair of pants that can climb a mountain with skis on your back and turn around and ski down a mountain and last more than a season. So basically, you know, we were, we were the college kids at the end of the nineties, early two thousands, and we were beating up our gear and we went to school and the only. The only stuff that we could use uh, or the best stuff was mountaineering gear. So it was three layer and it was light and it was packable, but it was also tight. And so we shredded it so it didn't last very long. And then there was snowboard gear, which was cool, but it was a little bit too baggy and it was heavy and it was two layer and hanging mesh lining and stuff. And then the ski racing stuff that I had gone to, to college with, you know, just was uncool and built as poorly as the snowboard stuff. So this idea of making a pair of pants um, or bibs that could actually be manufactured in a mountaineering factory—a factory that manufactured mountaineering stuff using three-layer high-tech materials and and um, and processes—and then make it more durable, make it fit over your legs so that you weren't stretching it to fit around the cuff of your of your pants or of your of your boots, um, and so that it would actually move with you last for more than a season so that we didn't have to warranty our gear every year. And that's just that's just what the concept was was increased venting, uh, free ride fit is what we kind of called it, having cross flow venting. So the outer thigh vent opens up to the inner thigh vent and you get you get flow going through. But over time what's happened is that this little project, this little brand, has now grown to the point where now we have 12 full-time employees. We offer healthcare um, or a health insurance option. We have sales reps around the world. We have distributors. We have multiple factories that we've been working with for over a decade. And and a friend of ours that is now, you know, like helps me with marketing a lot. um, it, It took having him come on to look at us from the outside to identify kind of what the brand means. Uh, to our community because flylo is now so much bigger than my group of friends from college where there were five of us that would go skiing and sleep in the back of the pickup trucks every weekend at Mount Baker. Um Flylo is, you know, like was was my way to live life on my own terms. Um and my college buddy Greg, who helped start the company and is our co-founder, like You know, we both were trying to find our way in this world, and we wanted to be able to live in the mountains and not be ski bums, but you know, like have a job and be able to ski. And we had done that. You know, Greg was a service industry professional, and I was a ski schooler and played music in the mountains. Um, So, this was a way for us to do that. We didn't really realize that, but after the company took hold after five or six years, and having our friend Jeff take a look at the company and kind of identify that this is, that we're not the only ones. Like we, we were doing this for this reason, but the people that were wearing our gear were doing the same thing. They prioritize, you know, life over money, living life on your own terms. And so, you know, in an esoteric sense, Flylow is here to inspire people to live a life on their own terms.
0: I like that. It's, That's an, inter- that's an interesting turnaround, and I guess it, it does kind of make sense. That, that's you know, ultimately what I wanted to uh, dig into, the whole brand thing. So you really you know, hit the ground running with
1: that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, think it's that, I think it's that the new American dream isn't just a white picket fence, or it isn't a white picket fence and, and two kids and, and marriage. It's actually it's owning your own business or being vested in a business because not everybody's crazy enough to take the loan or spend the money but being vested in a business enough that you have a a stake in it and a sense of ownership. And then you combine that and you don't let that identify that doesn't define who you are, but then you have other parts of your life. And so you're, you're working to live instead of living to work. And I think that's a change in society.
0: Yeah. I mean, even to take that further, like that's like the real freedom is like being it's, the freedom of being able to you know occupy your time how you want and do something that you care about that what you were saying people looking to you know either start a business or get vested actually you know be interested instead of just waking up nine to five maybe hobbies maybe you're too tired yeah <laughs> um, yeah to take a step back i guess the timeline of when you started actually making the fly gear like the first fly low gear Um, You said this was like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah.
1: uh, Greg and I and our, you know, like the other three buddies, Ethan and Seth and Braden, we graduated from the University of Puget Sound in the year 2000. And um, I think I had come up with the name or I, you know, like the name kind of went in my head somewhere around 1999 and the product concepts, like that's what we did was sit around and kick around ideas as to you know, what would be better in the world? I don't think we were like looking to be entrepreneurs. You know, like some people say, it's just kind of in your DNA. So then graduate college and moved to Jackson. Uh, I lasted nine months in Jackson and then I blew my knee out teaching a lesson or I was, I was coaching kids on the weekend and blew my knee out, looked at my buddies and was like, well, these guys aren't going to take care of me. So I went home to my mother in Denver at the time and. <laughs> started playing more music, went to grad school, studied international trade and development, um hooked up with another buddy that was from college, um a little bit older that was a fine artist that was developing product concepts and he was uh he was a guitar player and he wanted me to play bass for him and I wanted him to help me develop this concept. So we kind of had a symbiotic relationship and Jared Hankins uh, Helped me develop the initial logo for Flylow, and so, and and like hand sketched these drawings of the pants and the jackets, uh, and so I think the first product I had was a T-shirt, and that was around like 2003, 2004, and then we launched our website in 2005, and uh, another or it was 2004 the website launched. It was FlylowGear.com and FlylowTelemark.com because telemarketing was blowing up and that's how you got in the backcountry back then
0: driving that. Uh,
1: that's right. And then, uh, and then we didn't start paying taxes until 2007. So, you know, from a timeline perspective, it was, you know, it, it was kind of a, it was a project. It was a hobby. Um, if you will, I didn't get paid from Flylow until, um, uh, September 1st of 2010. So it was it was a long road and, and Greg and I both we both worked restaurant jobs. Greg came down from Jackson um a few years after the fact uh to help me get things started and we were working restaurant jobs. We reinvested everything in the brand. We didn't get paid for years. Our third business partner Scott Pearson who's our CFO and our COO now, um, he was 10 years older than us and had just you know like come out of the real estate world after the financial crisis hit. And even he signed on for two years and, um, didn't he, he he agreed to take the same salary Greg and I were taking for two years, which was nothing.
0: Damn. That's, that's kind of incredible. You guys like got in and actually it's, I don't want to say you were like ahead of your time, but you were like, just, you kind of were driving that, that switch from, um, what do you call it, like the baggy snowboard pants that you were saying, or like the super tight racer fit. Like, it feels like that timeline, you kind of drove the, uh, the crossover to kind of what apparel looks like more today. I
1: think, you know, like I would, I, I think I've always thought that we were riding the wave um, and kind of, we were, we were going with it because especially when you're such a small brand and even now, like it's hard to say that, you know, like our brand even though we're, we're moving like 25,000 pairs of snow bibs. Um, it's hard Mm. to say that we drive anything, but we were, we were that we were the demographic, um, that, you know, like that right now is, you know, the 25 year old ripper that is finding flaws in their gear and they're going to create the next generation of clothing. Um, and that's great. You know, like there's, these heritage brands like Obermeyer, and then there's Patagonia. Ten years younger than Patagonia is Cloudvale, aka Steo. Ten years younger than than Steo is Flylo. and then there's going to be another brand that comes along that represents that next generation and that wave. So, you know, but at the time there was no one that was making mountaineering quality stuff for skiing, and we found that niche. Um, And, and no one was, was actually making this backcountry free ride apparel either. They were, if, if they were selling that they were rebranding for a long time too, like they were rebranding mountaineering apparel and trying to sell it to skiers. And that's why, you know, a pair of mountaineering pants, which is designed mind you to keep you alive and get you on and off a mountain alive, but not necessarily to last, the whole ski season and not not made to deal with four sharp edges or two sharp edges, but I guess a split border has four sharp edges too. And so the gear was just getting shredded and the warranties were great. And so we would just warranty our gear every year and every year it came back lighter and tighter, worse for skiing, better for climbing the mountains. Um, And then, yeah, it was just, everything just kind of came together.
0: It's kind of amazing how like you draw from other sports or, I mean, I guess it's kind of like the cousin of ski touring mountain. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys had that, that small start. How did you, I guess, what were the biggest factors um, in your success, like growing your business, like getting your name out there? How did you compete with some of the bigger, more established brands?
1: Um, Grassroots marketing. I mean, we had no money. We were bartending to pay for credit card debt and we were using, you know, like I was bouncing convenience checks back and forth from, from different Chase Manhattan United Mileage Plus credit cards to, you know, like that's how I paid for the initial production runs. Uh, no banks will give you a loan for, you know, like, and there was a credit crunch. Um, so initially I would make extra t-shirts and I put them in my jacket. And I, they were women's t-shirts and I go up to women telemark skiers and I'd give them a t-shirt and, and talk to them about Flylow. And then, you know, my friends, uh, that were, they were doing, uh, <laughs> ski films called the, the powder horse. And then there was tough guy productions. And, you know, I really, you know, at the time telemark skiing and telemark equipment sales were blowing up. Uh, They were growing at 20 to 25% a year. And, you know, granted, after the first year of owning FlyLowTelemark.com, we could see the writing on the wall that, like, AT gear and, you know, just backcountry skiing um, was going to blow up. It it was kind of like the way CrossFit, you know, like now no one wants to admit that they're going to CrossFit. As soon as you started seeing stickers that said no one cares that you telemark, you had to, you know, unhinge yourself from that sport. And just be a, a broader, a broader sport brand. Um, so this idea of backcountry free ride was how we led the marketing charge. Um, but still, like those telewhackers, they were they were working harder than everybody else. They were doing demos. Um, they were doing ski films, independent ski films, and going on tour. And so I went on tour with the Powder Horse for you know like almost a decade. And these two tall brothers from um from Utah were driving around and doing forty to fifty stops where they you know as a production company were hosting events and I would fly and meet them at Bozeman, and I'd sit in the back of their little Tacoma um crammed in there, and we were on the road and I would set up mannequins uh and try to meet and talk with as many people as possible and then of course. That I I think that that leads to, you know, maybe you sell one pair of pants at a ski movie, but word of mouth is the best marketing that there is. And so getting the gear out there, it just, it slowly was was building and it was growing at, you know, 80 to 40% year over year, which, but they were small numbers. Um, And another key to the success was that we started this brand in the beginning of the 2000s the middle of the two thousands and then the financial crisis hit and no one it's no one forced us to grow fast relative to how modern companies are you know a a new company that started now is just looking for top-line sales they want to pump money into marketing and they don't care what the cost is they don't care if they're profitable well for Greg and me you know like we we had to be profitable. And it's not like we were making money. It was because that's how we could make enough money to buy the next year's inventory. And every year I, I still kind of think of this in February. I have no debt. I have a bunch of money in the bank and I could just walk away. And then I think to myself, Well, what fun would that be? You know, like the the business is going well. We've created jobs and you know, like, but back then we weren't getting paid. This was just like in February of every year, we could have just walked away without debt because, you know, as a small business owner and an entrepreneur, you know that like businesses don't necessarily make you money. They can they can cost you money if you don't play your cards right. But because of the environment and where we were at, backcountry skiing was, you know, that wave was going up. No one expected us to grow ultra fast. And we were able to build the foundations of just a really solid company that, as we're proving right now, um, I thought it was that we were repre- uh, recession proof, but it turns out we're also pandemic proof because you know like our brand is thriving right now. And part of that is, again just just luck that we're in the outdoor industry, and that we were in the winter industry instead of when coronavirus hit and all those summer brands they they got hurt real bad this summer um but it was off season for us and we were able to push through regroup and now you know like now we're we're holding we're holding solid
0: i mean it, it doesn't hurt when you're also you know delivering a, a product that was pretty innovative i mean it was the high quality mountaineering apparel designed for backcountry skiers that wasn't going to tread i mean there was a need for that, and it, there's just now more need. It's it's actually interesting what you said about the um I guess summer-based brands because in the beginning, like we, Ready Yeti was in panic mode too. Um, everyone kind of hit that, but it didn't take long for basically the entire world seemingly to say, "Hey, we can't go to other like buildings. We can't go inside. It's okay to go hiking. Um, let's just all do this." Even I this is insane i'm i've never seen so many people walking around the neighborhood it's kind of nice it was you always see like cars and stuff but you never see people outside now everyone's just like well maybe now is the time to get into skiing maybe now is the time to make the switch to backcountry.
1: yeah and and i think that i think that there's these uh side benefits i mean you go to the gym and you know like and i went to the gym for a long time and i'm not opposed to the gym whatever but like you know, part of me was going for vanity. um, But I was younger. And, you know, like, I don't know, I didn't have all the stresses of the world. But when you go outside, and you can clear your head, and and you realize the benefits of vitamin D. And I just, you know, like, I think the gym industry is going to be fine, and they'll recover. But I think that I hope that society is, is getting better from this in so many different ways, one of which is, that people are just going to go outside more indefinitely. And then maybe they're going to realize that if I'm outside more, maybe I should try to save the outside and be a little more conscious with, you know, like with my politics or my feelings about the environment. And I can support the, you know, like environmental, you know, like causes or just at least change the way that I look at the world because I want fresh air and I want snow. Um, And yeah, you know, like after that initial knee jerk reaction, you know, we saw it first, you know, in my, in my business, it's because we sell mountain bike apparel. We saw it in mountain bike sales. Like
0: it was, it was just, it was crazy. Everyone sold, everyone sold out towards the end of summer. I was like, you know what? Like me and my friends ended up getting into mountain biking a little bit. They bought mountain bikes and I was like, all right, fine. I'll try this you cannot get a bike you're out like on a wait list till next year even apparel it's and that's the same thing that we're
1: seeing with backcountry ski equipment right now is like you know it's really tough to find backcountry ski equipment online you know like it was it's low-hanging fruit and the beauty of it is that it's out there it's at the independent retailers and what we're seeing is that our independent retailers are thriving and you know like and we we love them and support them. And you ask about like how do we how do we get the, the brand out to people? Well, first it's word of mouth, but really it's you know like it's being a wholesale focused business that like everything in our numbers was structured around being able to sell wholesale and you know like and run a business and stay in business because there's nothing short of you know like you telling your buddy how much you love Flylo and them seeing you. The next best marketing is being in a shop, going in there and saying, what's the best set of ski pants and having a shop kid say, well, those are the most expensive, but these fly low pants, these are the best ski pants. And, and then they're like, why? And it's like, all they have to remember is two college buddies beat the shit out of their mountaineering pants because they were skiing in them. And so they decided to make a better pant. End of story. We have a face to our brand. We are in stores that, you know, like that. If you think that going outside is your, you know, like is your church, you know, like or is your religion, those stores are your Bible, you know, like they are, they are your guide to getting outside. Um, So being a wholesale focused business, I think is, you know, one of the main reasons why Flylow was able to penetrate a market. Um, And to this day, like there are, larger brands that, you know, that compete directly with independent retailers instead of fostering that. And, you know, we just, we just appreciate what those guys do um, as part of our business. So we still focus on them.
0: That's actually really, it seemed, it's interesting that you say that because so many people I talk to and so many brands I'm looking at are making a very, very beeline towards online sales. So the fact that you're still like doubling down being like, no, like, we need this ecosystem.
1: Well, yeah, we, we do. And you know, like granted fly holds, you know, like our online sales are increasing. Um, but our overall sales are actually increasing. Uh, so the, the focus of the brand is, is never, has never been and isn't to be like, um, we want to take all those sales direct. It's that we are channel agnostic. And we honestly, we don't care how you get the gear. We just want you to have a positive experience and go outside uh, and try it. And we know that if you do try it, you're going to come back and get it again. And again, like we don't care where you get it from. You can get it from REI or you can get it from, you know, like outdoor gear exchange or and Glow sports, you know, like there's so many independent retailers in this country that, you know, like that, yeah you know, you could, you could be focused on it. And I'm glad to see that in society in this shift where people are focused on trying to buy from, from small businesses. But you know what, like you show up on a ski trip and you break something or you forget something, who's going to take care of you? It's not going to be an online retailer. It's not going to be flylowgear.com. You know, like it's your independent retailer. So it's great to, you know, like, to take care of them and choose to take care of them because we need those guys around. Not to mention like you go into a shop like Alvin Glow sports in my hometown in Tahoe city, California. And like, you don't know what to buy your wife. You just walk in there and you're just like, yes. And you know, like they do such a good job of curating, whether it's the boots, the skis, the apparel, you know, like that's what a good store does.
0: Customer service really. Amen. Yeah. Um. Yeah, absolutely. So getting back to the, I guess, brand cultivation, I, I kind of like that we've been dancing in the circle. When it came to, I guess, beyond sales, beyond wholesale, beyond, you know, brick and mortar stores, um, and even beyond the, or I guess, getting more honed in on the grassroots marketing aspect of it, do you think like hooking up with different athletes and I guess, being involved in different ski flicks and stuff like that. Has that done a lot to cultivate the brand or did the, the brand and the culture behind the brand add to that on the other side? I think it's a
1: bit of both. I mean, I think that we attract, uh, we attract certain athletes, usually ones that are, you know, like on the way up or ones that have already cut their teeth and, are interested in being involved in a smaller company. Um, I've had some athletes that wanted, uh, they wanted to have more play. They wanted to be used in more advertising. Um, But, you know, now we've been around for 15 years, so we're not a startup necessarily, but we're still relatively young. Um, And more importantly, like, we haven't been diluted or we're still at, you know, our tagline is kind of independent, homegrown mountain rays. And the, the, the reality is that we still have a face to the brand. Um, if you go to our About Us page, there's a picture of Greg and me in Greg's Westphalia. And we honestly had gone for a photo shoot to help my wife out, who was, who's a writer. And so she was writing a story about inbounds, out of bounds at Alpine Meadows and Squaw Valley. So we helped out with that um ski models if you will and then we walked back up the parking lot and we slid open the door took off our boots and we started picking colors for the next year and the photographer robin o'neill just like click like it was real and it was it was so good it was such a good photo um and we you know like we still use it but the you know like the reason why it was good and the reason why the story's good and the reason why we don't necessarily lean on and and pay for super high dollar athletes um is that we still have a face to the brand and that's something where you know the founders of north face are kind of unknown unless you look on uh wikipedia and so the face of north face is jimmy chin and conrad anchor arterex they you know like i mean as skiers we know that hoji and Michelle Parker, but you know, like our, our, our athletes, but I'm not a mountaineer necessarily. Um, I climb up to ski down so I don't know who their mountaineering athletes are. I just think of our as a pewter box that spits out perfection. They have beautiful seam taping and beautiful clothes. And I, and I look up to them for that, but there's no real face to that brand for me. So mm-hmm. for fly Low, we're kind of riding that wave. I think that because of that, we don't necessarily attract an athlete that you know like that wants to be a north face athlete you know like that's what the north face is for
0: i, I think it puts you in like this perfect situation where you know they're it's very clear that your the brand is genuine altruistic and like it's not like you're using these like kind of blown out names that are known from by people who don't do this sport it's like the people who Like are actually, you know, kind of, I don't even want to say live and die by even like just people who are a little bit more casual, but, you know, fairly consistent, serious skiers will know, I guess the names behind the sport, whether they're new or have been around it. I I feel like you avoid looking like you're just putting up screen for a marketing purpose. Like, it's just like, this is it. This is kind of what we yeah, do. Yeah.
1: I mean, and, and granted, like we have Darren Rounds, who's one of the most decorated American ski races of all times. He's on the fly low team, but you ask him why, you know, like he doesn't have to be on the Flylo team. He wants to be on the fly low team because you know, like, he lives in our town. He wants to be involved. He wants to have a voice. He has other, you know, like he's a Red Bull athlete for God's sake. And then, you know, like, and then there's other guys, like, the amount of freeride world tour presence that Flylo has is kind of insane. Whether it's the freeride world tour qualifiers, um, and granted, we started out with the Telemark circuit, and we got involved with this guy Dylan Crossman, uh, who was like the king of Telemark, and and then one day Dylan and you know like and Jake Saxon, another one of our amazing tele riders, they both were just like, you know what, fuck it, we're gonna go on the freeride world tour. So Dylan goes over to the Freeride World Tour and starts winning, and then Dylan's, you know, like the next generation of Mad River Glen insane skiers, the Chickering Ayers brothers, well, you know, their buddy Ryan Hawks hits me up, and he's like, I got a van, three of us are going on the Freeride World Tour, you want to sponsor us? I'm like, I'm a sucker for vans, and this is way back when. (laughs) And so, <laughs> so Ryan and Lars and Silas Green Mountain Freeride go on the Freeride World Tour. And sure enough, Lars and Silas start winning events. And then even last year, the fly, the, uh, the Freeride World Tour champion, Isaac Freeland is a, is a fly athlete. And, and so that the idea of the fly low team it is super important. It's just that we want to have, I want to have the best skiers, like the two best skiers at any ski hill, whether they're known or sponsored or making a bunch of money or not. I don't care, but I want to have that core roots crew. And so I talked about the powder horse. Well, now the powder horse, you know, like they don't make movies anymore, but unfortunately Noah Howell is, you know, like who was one of the powder horse. He's our athlete manager and helps with marketing in all different sorts of phases. and you know, I defer to him, but he's running a crew of 120 athletes. And there's probably, there's probably 20 that we call our our national team or our international team with like Darren Rouse and Isaac Freeland. Um, And then there's our ambassadors, which is just a crew of people that maybe used to be on the team or on the way up. And, you know, like they're doing filming, they're making content. And then we have what's called the Roots team, where, you know, like, you know, where that's where we get to have people that are, you know, moving on. Maybe, you know, like it's the Chickering Arrows brothers who don't want to go on the free ride world tour anymore because they're entrepreneurs and they have cast their, you know, like their free ride binding system. So they still get to be involved with Fly without, you know, like any strings attached. Or maybe it's a 16 year old out of Aspen, you know, Bodie Coon, who's crushing it. And he's the next guy and we're going to try to keep up with him. But if we do our jobs right, if Noah and I do our jobs right, Bodie will be, you know, like getting offers from larger companies that we can't compete with. North Face is a publicly traded, is owned by a publicly traded company. They're in the billions. Arterix is $500 is owned by a $4 billion company, Patagonia all hail Patagonia privately held doing so many good things over a billion dollars in sales. Like we don't, we're not trying to, we are competing with them in our own little niche. Uh, But when it comes to athletes, like if an athlete of ours comes along and says, Hey, I got picked up by the North face. I high five them, you know, like, and I say, that's awesome. I wish we could keep up. We can't keep up. You know, like, go talk to my friend Kaki over at the North Face who used to be a flylow athlete for you know like a year before she followed that same track and it's you know you never burn a bridge you never know where it's going to come around but but these like rippers are how flylow established our credibility so they're every bit as important to building the brand as those retailers and Greg and me
0: honestly for for all you just said that's why i would even say you guys were and still are kind of ahead of your time because you you know the importance of you know it's it's really not just jackets it's not just bibs it's it's not just the gear there's there's a lot more to it um you know and actually respecting and building and cultivating that culture is something that does make the difference you know because you have the people who will stand by what you're not just like you know your jacket but what you're doing it's it goes deeper than that it's adding something to the sport And it is a sport and there is culture within sports, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think it ever really can just be selling gear. It's a cliche, like in along with like, you know, the the thousands of other cliches out there, but you are selling an experience and, you know, to do or care about this thing is like kind of being part of a tribe. I
1: mean, the older I get, the more I realize cliches are pretty much fact. Um, It's, it's crazy, but you know, and, and that's the thing is that like, it's a tribe, it's a community. Like if you, if you roll into a ski hill and you see someone with a fly Low sticker, you know, like, it's kind of like, and I never really got to appreciate this because I had curly hair, but you know, all those long hairs in college, like they just kind of gave themselves a nod. They were part of that crew. It was, it was a choice that they made. And now, you know, Flylo is, it's a dedication, you know, like if you see someone wearing Flylo they have prioritized a general type of living. And, you know, like, and, and we did the kind of interview uh, back to my buddy, Jeff Wagaman, that, that, you know, like that helps us with marketing. Um, he did an interview with a bunch of Flylo customers. And one of the common threads that he found was that, you know, most of them, like in the 95% range, um, they have the ability to take the day off of work whenever they want they have flexible schedules that allow them to go skiing and chase powder in the morning yeah. and they can work at night their priority isn't over having a huge house and a vacation house but they do want to have enough money and financial security so that they can drop everything and go to Verbier and go skiing for a week and and that's not asking too much that's not saying i need to be so rich that I'm going to ski in Aspen. Um, And in fact, I love going to Aspen. And when I go to Aspen, most fly low people, you'll find them at Aspen Highlands bootpacking the bowl because it's, you know, like, it's about this whole, the community, you know, like needs to get outside. It needs to stretch our legs, needs the fresh air. So that not because we hate our work, we love what we do for work because that's a priority too is loving what you do. And another, whether it's a cliche or just something my, my father always said, he said, he called me Harry. He said, Harry, my boy, you have to work. If you love what you do, you're lucky. And it's like, those were the greatest words of wisdom ever because in life, I was always focused on you know, doing what I loved. And if I didn't love it, you finish the contract. I got plan A, A, B, and C. I'll go over to plan B and, and try my luck there. I'm not going to burn a bridge when I get out of the first deal and I'm going to try the next one out and and until it fits. And, you know, I'm just, you know, I've been in a pinch me state since I started getting paid by this company in 2010. Um, and I just can't believe it worked out, you know, and I, and I will be humble and hungry as my buddy, Chris Bloomton says, and I will keep on fighting the fight and trying to make the gear better every year um and trying to inspire people to get outside and you know like and do what we've done love what you do get outside go skiing
0: good yeah you got a good thing going i mean especially now for all the good parts about Flylow, what has been the hardest part about starting a business and just starting Flylow?
1: there's been a lot of different challenges uh the uncertainty uh kind of personnel, you know, trying to keep everybody happy, trying to monitor when people are getting burnt out. Um most recently it was the departure of my co-founder um and good buddy Greg who left the company coming on um 12 months now. And we talked about it, we've been talking about it for for two or three years and Um, And as awesome as, you know, like, or not awesome, but as smooth and respectful as we've tried to be with each other, um, you know, it was, it's, it's hard. It was hard for us, uh, but we're still friends. The company's still good. He's still an investor, you know? And so that just kind of, you know, drives me to to work even harder uh, and protect his investment. Um, But it was hard. And then, you know, like, You know, before that, I mean, shit, I I think that the thing that I always tell new entrepreneurs is um, the hardest thing is that your brain is always going and that there's always something more that you can do. And so you think that you should be doing it. But the reality is, you know, just focus on what you're doing and do it well. Don't spread yourself too thin. And don't feel compelled to grow something super fast overnight. You need to have a good foundation. And going back to the companies that didn't survive this pandemic, I would argue they didn't survive because they didn't have good financial foundations. They were going for top line sales and they weren't uh, respectful of, you know, like of having a company that was well-rounded and that could support itself. So, you know, take your time.
0: What are some of the biggest mistakes or the biggest mistake you've made along your career?
1: I mean, you got, you got to check your wire transfers. Um, (laughs) You know, we fired, we fired off $60,000 to a bank account in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. uh, And we had gotten hacked and uh, that bank account was not, was not our factory's bank account. Um, so I mean, that's just kind of a, yeah, in like in the end, it it is what it is and we absorbed it and and the mm-hmm. factory absorbed it. The factory actually was the one that had gotten hacked. Um, but I you know, like I think, I don't know, that's not the most Double check your work. answer, <laughs> but I, I feel like, and actually, you know, like, you know, Jake Burton passed away recently, and i I, you know, Of course, I'm a student of how I built this podcast, and so listening to Jake say that you know, like um, that Burton had made every mistake, and that they hopefully only made those mistakes once, and so I, you know, I I kind of feel like we've made we've made every mistake. I've had, you know, I've had I didn't check factory sources, and I had fabric delaminate. Um, and that's probably the, the, for me specifically for the brand specifically, that can be the worst thing when the product doesn't live up to what people want it to live up to and it falls apart. Um, so we've made so many mistakes, but we're working
0: on it. With that, with all the talk about mistakes, you've, you've given a lot of really valuable nuggets of information already. Um, so this might be kind of redundant even to ask, but what advice would you give someone that wants to start a business?
1: Uh, my my cousin second cousin who's a lot younger than me hannah goldstein is in boston right now and she's starting a brand called Rugget uh with her college friends and she's going through trials and tribulations and success and i think the best thing that i had told her in our last conversation a couple of weeks ago was don't stop going outside and and, and exercising you know like go outside and clear your head and exercise, you know, like, yeah, there's a little bit of a vanity aspect to it as well. But you know, like when things get stressful, don't respond to that email. Don't hit send, don't call and fire off and be that asshole restaurant manager that, I, you know, like that I know who, you know, like who comes in and there's a problem and you just try to change, you know, change what's going on to try to solve the problem. Right then and there, you have to look at a bigger picture, and the best way to do that in life, whether it's in a relationship or in business, is to put your running shoes on or your mountain bike shoes and go meditate in motion. Get outside, and that's just—it's just the most you know, like important thing to be able to find a balance in life. Is there's work, there's play, and there's exercise, and the exercise is what kind of smooths it all out.
0: Yeah. That I wish you would have told me that in the beginning when we started, I, <laughs> I ended up gaining 50 pounds when you started your business. I'm like, yeah, I've like just kind of come off of it not too long ago. And it was like a slow burn, but like with the stress and like, you know, navigating the depression of like all the, like the hardships of like, you know, being stressed and all that. It, it was, it was not a pretty picture. That is highly underrated advice, even with all the different, you know, nuggets of information you gave <laughs> that, that last bit. I mean, <laughs>
1: Personal. that was
0: like, you know, every time I got assigned a
1: paper in college um, or navigating, you know, like college girlfriend, it was like a dagger to your heart or your gut. And it's just like, put your running shoes on and go bang out five yeah. miles. And by the end, I that would works. have a draft and a thesis for a paper. I would have come to the conclusion that the worst thing that can happen is she says no and you know like yeah. and fucking life goes on. So keep running.
0: Dan, thanks so much for coming on um for I guess for anyone who wants to find out more about Flylo or I guess just keep in touch where's the best place oh, for them to go? I mean
1: flyloadgear.com is where we tell our story. There's a big tab in the right top right hand corner of every web page it says dealer locator use it go support your independent dealer um you know never hesitate to reach out to philo and ask me a question um actually i, st- I still i still answer the facebook uh messages that come through uh <laughs> because our you know i try to do my part and our customer service Crew, Mia and Abigail are so busy at the warehouse, and they'll get back to you. Um, but if you want to give them a break, just shoot shoot a Facebook message and give me a week and I'll respond to it.
0: <laughs> oh Awesome, Dan. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready A podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.